History happened everywhere. The verdict. This is our after show podcast where we look back at the most recent episode, The Jaws of Death in Hong Kong during the 13th century. So if you haven't listened to that, do go back, check it out, or else you will encounter spoilers ahead. Bite, mongrel, wheel, dragon, song, gin, joke, public lavatories, goldfish, gin martini in a big box, standing navy, question mark. You could use this at the start. Hello, I'm Pete Goddard and I'm here in the studio with the flaky pastry lid to my delicious cherry pie, the ever delicious Ryan Weir. Can I have some whipped cream too? You can be all sorts of uh, extra goodiness. You can have custard, ice cream and sprinkles. whipped cream. Sprinkles. Sprinkles. Um, is that a thing that people do that? I just want to be called sprinkles. Oh, <laughs> your wish is my command. Uh, and of course, we are joined, as ever, by the distinctly divisive, the judge himself, Mr. Paul Dursley. I think I'll be a Mr. Brulé. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to say, I think distinctly divisive is probably the most accurate one of those we've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he does generate strength of feeling all around in one direction or another. <laughs> But enough of this nonsense, let us crack on with the game at hand. Uh, but I've kind of forgotten what that was. So, uh, Ryan, could you just remind me, what was it we talked about? Yeah, I mean, I can totally do that for you. When do you want me to do it? Uh, well, take about 60 seconds over it and start now. In this week's episode, we took a bite out of ancient Hong Kong, reliving the dramatic period of history which witnessed the ravaging Mongol horde sweep into southern China and squeeze the mighty Song dynasty until just a few loyal men held out in vain. We got all patriotic by slurping up some delicious protect-the-country soup and then climbed into the deadly mouths of tigers and sharks and crocs to witness how, over the centuries, humans have played a reverse Uno card to change the dynamic from man-eating beasts to beast-slaying men. We spoke to an expert who not only talks about alligators but speaks to them too, and most importantly we learned that pink is the cheapest colour, jowls suck blood from armpits, and Peter wants a fire lance. Last week's episode done, summarised nicely, nice one son, now we're over to a young Dursley who's gonna tell you what he thought of thee, he'll take you apart without any care, he's the lovely Paul Dursley, the lovely Paul Dursley. Ah, uh, yes, it's all come flooding back to me. I do indeed want to file answer, and I want to press you more on that matter later. Mm. Um, I would observe uh, it was a tricky episode this week. I was, have you had any uh, Secret Service-type people from the Chinese, <laughs> Chinese Security Service following you around since the episode was recorded? I think if we listen in, we can hear some slight clicking on the line. <laughs> <laughs> Hong Kong-wise, Paul, is that something you're really familiar with and you had a know-it-all approach to this, or was it all news to you? Most of it. I, th I think was news. I, I I knew about the, the sort of the geography and the the recent history. I always wanted to go, but after 1997, I sort of lost interest. Well, I think the window is uh, of ease anyway. The window of ease is closing fast. Um, but I did actually have something, Ryan. You mentioned that the everything became deroyed. I did, yeah. With the exception of the Royal Yacht, Yacht Club. Club, yeah. And I looked a little bit into <laughs> into that more. In they put an e at the end. <laughs> like a chicken royale yeah. no no what they did was in sort of tribute to the 
one country, two systems approach that you mentioned. So yeah. a little bit that was democratic in a, a larger country that wasn't. They kept the royal in the English version of their name, but they don't have it in the Chinese version oh, of their name. That way they'll never know. <laughs> <laughs> Until one of them learns English, they're going to get away with it. But that's how that happened. Oh, that's amazing. How about that? That's not unique, actually. There are a lot of things in Ireland, especially in Dublin, that are still royal, like the Royal Irish Show and the Royal Irish College of Surgeons. They sort of just never drop them. It's sort of very odd. I don't, I don't know. Perhaps there were lots of Protestant surgeons. Hmm. I wonder if, given the 50-year contract that China agreed, maybe the Royal Yacht Club will finally drop the Royal after the next, what, 40-odd years or whatever. Note to self, in episode 472, <laughs> we will revisit the question of whether they're still the Royal Yacht Club. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'll just join and then I'll let you know. Oh, that'd be great. So, what, 1997... That's uh, Math so 25. <laughs> Numbers at work. <laughs> so that is, what, 25 years. So they're halfway through. It's like a beautiful just... mind. <laughs> you can imagine his face with all the symbols hovering around. <laughs> and, and, you know, they've reneged after halfway. Doesn't bode well for them, does it? But uh, still, good luck, Hong Kong, with everything. Mm. But this is not what we we're about. We we're about the 13th century. Indeed. And I particularly, as you know, was entranced by the Fire Lance, and I'd like to know more. The Fire Lance? Uh, yeah, I could tell you about the Fire Lance. I mean, in your mind, what do you think a Fire Lance is? It's a gun, isn't it? Well, very close. That's not what I had in my head. What did you have in your so mind? So in my head, and this is obviously mad, yeah. is like a guy on a charger with a regular lance, right? but the tip of that lance yeah. stuffed with gunpowder. <laughs> so he rides up, yeah. whacks you with the lance, and it explodes in your face at the ah, same time. Okay. Uh, so it began life as a pole... <laughs> <laughs> with essentially a firework strapped at the end of it, as you're describing. <laughs> and it was it was used in sort of melee fighting. The guys with these poles would run in and just set them off, and it'd be like a flashbang, and everyone would be like, whoa, what's going on? And it might give you the advantage to do some stabbing or whatever. But as gunpowder improved, the explosive discharge increased as well, and they started to add things like porcelain shards in it yeah. and small little bits of iron and things. Yeah. So as it explodes, those things start firing Grenade on across. a stick at that point, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, it, it became a kind of like a uh, like a flamethrower meets shotgun is <laughs> how it's described. But it only has a short range. So you're kind of right, but you can be about three meters, about 10 feet away from the person when it explodes and they could still be you know damaged by that. It feels like one of those weapons that uh, is feared by the enemy and the user alike. <laughs> well, I guess it's at the end of a pole, so you've got a bit and it's pointed away from you. But uh, yeah, you only get one shot at it. Uh, there were some later that, that had two shots, but but in on the whole, once you've lit it and it goes off, <laughs> then you're just a man with a pole. Um, and that's it. Uh, by the late 13th century, the barrels had transitioned to metal. Jin Dynasty used paper ones, which allowed them to quickly re-upload. <laughs> and so the explosive blast got bigger and bigger. And eventually it just became the first hand cannon. And in 1233, Jin Dynasty soldiers used fire lances successfully against the Mongols and they backed them up. They were so afraid of them. They backed up into a river where 3,500 of them drowned. Wow. Isn't that amazing? I would back up in the face of a porcelain shard exploding mass on a stick. So question for you, when was the last recorded use of a fire lance? 
Boxer Rebellion, 1900. No, it was 1660, used on board British ships. Why was it used on a ship? Well, I guess to set fire to things like masts and sails and stuff, ropes and Try things. Try and poke it across to a ship that you were a midships with. Yeah, I guess so. Like it's, yeah, you pull up alongside somebody and then set fire to them. Jab them with your bl- explodey stick. Or indeed, if you got it through the porthole thing or the cannon hole bits, you, that's where all the explosives and stuff are, right? You set off a flamethrower through there, you're going to know about it. I wouldn't want to be tasked with making that shot. But why don't you just use a cannon? They also had cannons, I would imagine. Well, exactly. So why use older technology when you've got cannons? And this is why you should have been an admiral. And we (laughs) are just lowly seamen. (laughs) You're expecting me to come back with something about seamen, aren't you? I was, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I know. So, question for you, Pete. Having heard what you've just heard, are you still interested in a fire lance? Absolutely, more than ever, if anything. There's some used ones on eBay. I'm sure you could pick one up there. Isn't that just a charred stick? It is, yeah. So that young ruler, Ryan, the, the, the baby in arms who was uh, in charge. Zhao Bing. Yeah, but they were, using, <laughs> they were using fire lances at that time, right? They were using fire lances, yeah. So they kind of been, you know, they weren't that game changing. Well, they lost, they were, right? Yeah, but there was only a handful of them against the entire Mongol army. I mean, I'm guessing like one man with an explodey stick wasn't enough to save the Song Empire. I suppose he's there going, well, I've got three sticks and there's 40,000 of them. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. What do you think about that, Paul? Oh, well, these things happen. (laughs) (laughs) The end of an empire just happens. Well, yes, it does, doesn't it? It does. All empires will decay. I guess so. People know, what's the quote from Ozymandias? My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. That come from exactly. <laughs> that was excellent. <laughs> <laughs> and this, this was sort of carved onto a statue in the middle of nowhere in a desolate city. Yeah, there's a, there's a desert of sand, and there's these stumps of two legs of a one-time giant statue, and it's all gone, all gone. Okay, so one of the things that I discovered that was rediscovered was Zalbing's grave. Yes. It was discovered in the 1960s. Uh, and despite the body not yet being identified, in 1984, there was a joint Hong Kong-Shenzhen effort to try and restore the gravesite. So you can go there now and you can visit it in present-day Chihuahuan. They've they jumped into the sea, so there's a strong chance that they didn't recover the body, isn't there? Yes, absolutely. And a strong just... chance maybe he got away. Well, that's how I was hoping you were going to tell the story, but it was a bit more tragic than that. So we did talk about young uh, Bing, and I, it got me thinking about other young rulers because he was seven seven years I think old when he became uh, yeah. emperor so I had a look at other young kings and regents so in the British monarchy uh, we have Mary Queen of Scots who ascended to the throne at the age of nine months old and she was French she was beaten by Henry the sixth though who was eight months and 26 days old at the time of his uh, coronation these were positively elderly compared to Alfonso VIII of Spain. He was crowned king the day he was born. Really? <laughs> <laughs> it will not surprise you that his mother, Maria Christina of Austria, on the subject of rulers being from all over the place, uh, was the regent until he became 16 and then he became proper king. You mean they didn't allow a newborn baby <laughs> to be an actual <laughs> ruling king? The king offers the following <laughs> proclamation. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> 
and when he was two, the answer to everything was no. Oh, yeah. Could you imagine? <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh, oh, the tantrums. Well, actually, talking about young monarchs wasn't... Oh, God, I, don't, I never know. There are so many Louis. But one of the Louis had a very long reign of 72 years. And he started out very young and basically the whole life. And I think he's the longest reigning monarch ever. Judge Dursley is referring to Louis XIV, also known as Louis the Great or the Sun King, who was King of France from 14 May 1643 until his death in 1715. His reign of 72 years and 110 days is the longest recorded of any monarch of a sovereign country in history. Thank you. So he lived quite a long time then? Yes, then. For for then, yeah. Wow. I wonder how he was in the final days. Was he all there or was he starting to make decisions? Some... Yes, exactly. It's hard to worry about the consequences when you're 90 years old, isn't it? I read in the news today that Trump uh, looks like he's ready to make his announcement to run for 2024. And should he win, he would be an 80-year-old president. Rather ironic, considering he called Joe Biden old man yeah. at 79. But you have to be 35 is the minimum age to become president. You can't be president at 16, Correct. for example. So why isn't there an age limit? I think it's something that ultimately needs to be considered, doesn't it? Because the Soviet Union used to specialise in very old leaders, didn't it? And that was mostly because there were all these factions all vying to become the leader. So they would wear they couldn't clearly win they would all vote in someone who was so old they wouldn't last long yeah. so they might get another bite of the cherry later well you you get a lot of that of course in the arab world because the way succession works in the arab world it's not it's the, not from father to son it's from brother to brother and it only goes to the next generation when the first generation is exhausted and i think they're still they're right at the end of the very first generation. That's incredible, isn't it? And so the, ne the next one, you know, after when Saudi Arabia was founded in the 1920s, so it's all been brothers and brothers and brothers. And of course, they have huge families, so there are lots of brothers. And that sort of first generation is dying out. And they're just about coming into the second generation, who's sort of, I think it's about 35, 40. It just feels like you need somebody who's like in touch with decisions that need to be made. Like somebody who, you know, know knows how to open a pdf for yes. example might be Some, useful someone who grew up without the internet no longer feels like they would necessarily be ideal for running a modern nation mm. okay where were we tigers I, I, I looked over my shoulder when you said it. Like, <laughs> like there was one behind me. Well, it sounded like a man who knows how to survive a tiger attack. I thought it was interesting that Marco Polo called them lions and then you went on to describe them yeah. very much a tiger, which you can totally imagine happening. And uh, it's ironic that the, the lion is often called the king of the jungle, but I think tigers do seem to be generally all around tougher and more jungle. Well, tigers live in the jungle. Yeah. No, well, yes. <laughs> king of the savannah, I get. Yeah. Yeah. I, oh, I do have a point to pick you up on here. Okay. You said it was the second largest in mainland Asia, mm -hmm. apart from one in Indonesia. Um, I believe so. Yeah. I think he's going to say Indonesia is not mainland Asia. Correct. <laughs> but then, but no, it changes the whole thing because it's not the second largest in mainland Asia, apart from it's the largest in mainland Asia. That's a very good point. You have done the tiger down there a little bit. All right. <laughs> Don't jump on. Treating me like a Zalbing, you just threw me off the cliff. Oh, yeah. 
There you go. Whoop. He's, <laughs> he's thinking about his next grade. <laughs> That's right. I've got to sabotage where I can. Do you want to know how to survive a tiger attack? I do now you've mentioned that there might be some in the area. I would say stand still. Okay, that's a good point. What do you think, Pete? Any any suggestions? Uh, I think you've got to protect your neck. <laughs> How are you going to do that? I'll just cover it with my hands. A little scarf. <laughs> a scarf. Chiffon. <laughs> Shout at it. Shout at it. That's good. What have you got, Pete? Raise your hands. Look big. Raise your hands. Look big. Yeah, that's also good. Anything else? Throw something at it. Uh, nope. Don't throw something at it. <laughs> Don't run, though, because then it's like, hey, it's a hunt. That's exactly right. So, look, if you ever encounter a tiger that turns aggressive, uh, the advice Which is... It feels like it was the sort of thing a tiger might do. Not necessarily. They tend to be sort of, like, spooked, and so they will just sort of run off. It's not in their interest to, to, to attack you unless they're super hungry. And remember, they have that feast or famine thing, ah, right? yes. But let's say you just stumbled across a tiger in a clearing or whatever. The advice is to stay calm, be motionless and quiet, make yourself look bigger, and if they don't leave keep facing it look them in the eyes maintain that eye contact and back away slowly always keep eye contact alternatively use fire if you happen to have a fire lance on you (laughs) (laughs) why i always have one handy climb a tree Apparently they don't climb trees very well. Oh, really? Yeah, it's one of the big cats that, that just don't. I cannot imagine in that scenario filtering through my mental Rolodex of big cats that can and can't yeah. climb trees and making that call. <laughs> yes, exactly. Leopards. Leopards, lions. Leopards famously climb trees. They sort of lounge in trees, do leopards. Don't, don't they also drag their food up into the tree as well? Do yes, yeah. exactly. So, yeah, don't, don't if it's a leopard, do if it's a tiger. There you go. Easy to remember. Okay, so if it spots <laughs> up tree not, if it stripe, go on. back away, Mike. <laughs> yeah, if you can remember that. <laughs> on here. Uh, roaring at it is another good way. Uh, one guy in India had a tiger approach him, came up really close up to about a metre away. <laughs> and it just roared at him. So he roared at it back. And they roared at each other for an hour. <laughs> and so villagers were like, what is going on over there? And they came to the rescue and, and, it, and it left. That, that's interesting because I gave my answer the way that I did because I have been in a situation where I was facing a lion in the wild. Wait, what? <laughs> In Chiswick? No, this was in South Africa. So what happened? Well, it was a game drive and we, because we saw a lion and we got out of the truck and walked up to the lion. Just to be clear for listeners, a game drive isn't where you're shooting the animals, correct? Correct. Drive being, drive in a Land Rover and then you look at at the animals and if you find something interesting, you you get out. And this was a big male who just made a kill and he had the app. He had the animal, uh, sort of a deer type thing, mm. in in front of him, and uh, because it, it wasn't male, because he had a big mane, and so before we got out, which I wasn't sure about, <laughs> but <laughs> I did yeah. that. Well, the tracker said, "This this this is what we're going to do. It's we're going to steal that antelope. Yeah, <laughs> you, you grab the legs, <laughs> run. So so." Or as he was talking, what he did was he put his lighter in his shirt pocket and undid his shirt. This would be for later. So he was saying, okay, this is the situation. What we're going to do is we're going to walk up to it very slowly. And as soon as it recognizes that we're there, stop. It's unlikely to do anything because it's got this food and we're not going to go after the food. But if it does, these are the rules. The, fir- the first thing to do is stand still. The second thing to do is 
raise your arms. The third thing to do is shout at it. Didn't say roar, but it said shout. And the final thing, or the second last thing he said he would do was he would throw his weighted shirt at the lion and it would go for that. And the fourth thing was he'd shoot it. <laughs> I mean, as plan Bs go, that's a pretty solid one. <laughs> plan D, yes. Peter, question for you. Should it have turned to the point where Paul had got his arms raised in the air and the lion was now had its attention on him and he was going to start shouting things at it, what would Paul shout? Bloody hell! <laughs> You're not eating me today! And then he'd shove the game warden in front of him. <laughs> 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 Run for the hills. <laughs> So we are we back to because it it roared at us and we stopped, watched it, and then backed off very slowly. And how did it feel when it roared at you? Did was there like some primordial trigger in your brain? <laughs> Go, nope. It, it was as the bowels loosened, <laughs> not not actually, but you felt them go, you know. Yeah. And you were standing there and it was <laughs> oh dear. Yes. So in terms of a tiger. Uh, the advice is to never turn and run. That is... Yeah, that's the absolute do not run. Don't lie down and play dead. <laughs> They'll just eat you. And uh, don't jump in water. Tigers can swim. Not only can they swim, they can swim for up to 18 miles. So... <laughs> wow. So really don't try and swim away from... I'm not a strong swimmer at the best of times. I yeah. Think. Actually, have you ever seen a cat go in water? It's very funny. <laughs> and finally, you mentioned earlier, Paul, about how your bowels loosened when the lion roared at you. Well, if a tiger approaches you and your bowels loosen, do not let yourself urinate uh, in fear. It is a key trigger for a tiger because it thinks you're marking your territory. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this was the last thing I wanted to do. <laughs> That's so unlucky, isn't it? Yeah. And finally, the last thing to do is say you're being attacked by a tiger, Pete. It's too late. It's on you, right? Yeah. It's roaring. It's it's having a, having a go. What are you going to do? You've got no weapons or anything. You shove your hand deep into its mouth and make it gag. At bare minimum, you can choke on me. <laughs> <laughs> Can't bite if you've got its hand down its throat, apparently. Right. Do you want to know some people that were attacked by tigers Tell in me. Hong Kong? Oh, These cool. are more recent stories because I, I, I wanted to include them in the episode, but obviously they're more recent, not 13th century. So in 1911, we spoke about tigers being able to swim. A tiger swam out to Hong Kong's outlying island of Lama, and there it ate some cattle. And then just swam back to the shore again. Because <laughs> you can imagine you've like this is Tigerland. I've got to be careful walking through the path in the jungle in right. the, in the forest. Like, I've got to be careful. Got to. And you're walking along the beach. Surely part of you's like, oh, I can relax now. <laughs> it comes <laughs> leaping out of the ocean. Oh, come on, <laughs> Mercat. <laughs> <laughs> so in 1915, Ernest Goucher, who was a 21-year-old police officer from England, and his Indian colleague, Rotan Singh, they were in Hong Kong, and they were attacked by a huge tiger. Uh, Singh died immediately, and uh, Groucher was taken to hospital, in quotes, terribly lacerated about the loins. <laughs> Ooh, yawa. Uh, yeah, and then he died too. Uh, the tiger was hunted down and killed, and it measured over seven feet... 
<laughs> That's 2.2 meters from nose to tail and was about three feet, one meter high. Its paws were six inches. That's 15 centimeters wide. And it weighed 288 pounds. That's 131 kilos. And uh, they made an exhibition of the tiger in Hong Kong City Hall the day after it had been shot. Thousands lined up to see it. And so popular was it, they took the head and stuffed it. And it's now on display today at the city's police museum. Uh, what, did, did they sell the rest of the body off? Well, I, I don't know about that, but um, let me tell you this story. In 1942, during World War II, Hong Kong was occupied by Japan at the time, and they set up an internment camp uh, to house like the non-Chinese prisoners, so British basically, and one prisoner at the camp, George Wright Nooth, uh, he wrote in his diary, Last night, Langston and Dial, who were sleeping outside at the back of the bungalow, were woken up at about 5am by snarls and growls. Langston got up to have a look. Uh, he went to the edge of the garden and looked down the slope to the wire fence. There, Dial saw him leap in the air and fly back into the boiler room shouting, there's a tiger down there. <laughs> Eventually, a police officer was sent down there. He shot the tiger and one of the internees in the camp, who was a butcher before the war, he skinned the animal and served the meat to officials of the Hong Kong Race Club, who declared it as tender and delicious as beef. Mm. There you go. Let us move on to the actual point of being here, Ryan, which is to get you properly assessed and found whether you're fit for service or otherwise. Surely there's something else we could talk about. Do we have to do? No, we've got to move on, Ryan. We've come to the end of the line. Dang it's time it. for you to step into the dock. <laughs> That's you stepping into the dock. Oh, okay. I was wondering what that was. And prepare to face the judge. <gasps> judge Dursley, are you ready to give your verdict? Yes, I am. Will the defendant please rise? I have risen. And your honour, as usual, we shall start things off with asking about your verdict on the factual content of the episode. It's difficult for me to comment on the factual content as I'm not an expert on that part of the world. That's why I brought that... an expert in, Your Honour, if you'll forgive my yes, interruption. Yes, you did. You did. I, I sort of forgot that. He knows his subject really well, doesn't he? He must be sort of the top man in his field for that. Absolutely. So I'll give him an A-, minus, and I think I'm ready to give you a B-. minus. Strong open. Yes. Next up, entertainment value your verdict, sir. Oh, dear. Well, I always thought you were quite good at accents, <laughs> Ryan, but... I thought that was a compelling Ewan McGregor impersonation. <laughs> Hello there. Oh, they're great for that C+. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm beginning to see it now. Uh, and, of course, the ever-present, evergreen Dursley Factor... Well, I think you've missed a trick on this one. I was really disappointed. I thought you were going to get your friend at Tom's Talking Animals to bring in an alligator. <laughs> <laughs> so, as you failed to do that, I shall give you another C+. Plus. I'll take it. Ryan, before the judge passes his verdict, this is your chance to enter a plea. If you do choose to do so, now is your time. Okay, uh, Your Honour, I recognise I stand here in the jaws of death. I wish for you to do the honourable thing and snatch me from it by giving me an excellent grade. And by me, I really mean Professor Chris Coggins <laughs> and Celeste. 
our fan who sent in some wonderful facts which I was able to weave into our episode. Thank you, Celeste. Thank you, Celeste. And before I do that, something just popped into my mind and Pete, hold half a credit for your gin martini gag. <laughs> that, that was the idea. I, so, sorry, Ryan, but I laughed at that. It was very funny. You only really get to make a joke like that once. And when am I next going to be chatting about the martini guy? I, 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 was, I was expecting, Ryan, from you some more gin and tonic gags and those sort of things. But, but sorry, let's be serious. Indeed. This is a serious business. Very so serious. the defendant stands slash cringes before you. Have you reached a verdict? Yes, I have. Can I have your ruling? I'll give you B minus. <gasps> That's a good grade. I, I don't. I don't remember the last time I got a B. You didn't get a B. You got a B minus. So that is enough of that. I agree with the verdict. It was an excellent episode. Uh, the next excellent episode will be myself attempting to do Germany from 1650 to 1700 on the topic community. So that's our show for this week. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to get in touch as ever about any of the things we've talked about on the show, you can reach out to us on social media or through the website hhepodcast.com or email us at Pete and Ryan at hhepodcast.com. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. And you never know, you might end up featured on a future show. One way to definitely feature is obviously to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Your recommendation really helps push us out to the wider world. And if you're on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook or Twitter, you can find us at HHE Podcast. And if you subscribe to those, you're going to get an alert every time we post one of our little one minute animated bites. Of course, we'll be back again soon with the next episode. But in the meantime, huge thank you to the judge himself. Thank you, Paul. Felicitations. And that is it. I guess all that's left to say is you've been listening to... I can remember that I think it was probably in the late 70s there were public lavatories I think in London that used to have goldfish in the clear glass cisterns what really what these were like yeah. public toilets yeah so so when the lavatory fl- when it flushed um, and this was like a big, big bank of urinals so yeah. there were lots of them when it was flushed sort of it emptied and the fish sort of flapped about on the bottom until it filled up again no that's not true and, and then 10 minutes later it just sort of did it again those poor fish <laughs> they don't remember that is an awful awful story they're goldfish and they can live out of water for 5 minutes that doesn't mean we should do it on a regular <laughs> basis but it gives you something to look at and you can actually put a plant on the top of here so they can reach on there and they can plant. Sorry, I've just switched my television on. I've, I've sat on the remote. <laughs>